0: welcome uh, to the show everybody what I what I really like to say at the top here uh, of the show is just thank you. Uh, thank you for your tireless ceaseless support because the big victory that I achieved last night is really your victory. Uh, this is about this isn't about me it's about you. it's about us. It's about what we've achieved together and and it's because of you that I can sit here right now today and say that despite very minimal, campaigning on my part and despite spending no money and despite uh, not even being in the race frankly, I managed to win only 18 fewer delegates than Michael Bloomberg. That is just remarkable and and I spent 500 million fewer dollars to do it. so that's what this campaign's all about uh, is one of the great underdog stories in the history of American politics I think so again, uh, thank you. Thank you so much. We are really building a movement here. Now, on the show today, uh, Super Tuesday, of course, we'll discuss the results and the the ridiculous whines from the Bernie bro horde, now claiming that the whole thing was rigged. It's rigged. It's rigged against them uh, because because he didn't do as well as they would hoped. Why is it these days that um, after every election, the loser always says that the election was rigged? Has it always been this way? Is this what people have always done? And Are the elections actually rigged? Is that the case? We'll discuss. Also, uh, we'll go through your five headlines. Plus, not to add insult to injury, but I do need to cancel Bloomberg today. The primary voters already canceled him, already took care of that. But I think I need to double down on the cancellation because of something that he did yesterday that is just... I'll, I'll play the footage for you if you haven't seen it. It is, it is really shocking. It's, In my opinion, I'm not even exaggerating or joking. It's the most shocking footage of a politician, certainly the most grotesque footage of a politician I've ever seen in my life. So we'll, we'll get to that as well. Now, last night, um, I don't think I need to go into recounting all of the uh, vote totals and, and everything because, uh, first of all, you've heard it already. Also, who cares? But very quickly, Joe Biden won one big, uh, picks up nine states, including Texas. Bernie won California. Um and three other states. Bloomberg, with the most significant victory of the night, won American Samoa, and uh, still decided to suspend his campaign, even though he 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 won American Samoa. You would think from there, you know, you could build a nationwide campaign. Wasn't able to do it, unfortunately. So that puts the delegate count right now at uh, 453 to 373, Biden over Bernie, with the rest. Of the the candidates, what few remain hanging out with a with a handful here and there. Tulsi has, I think, one delegate. Klobuchar got more than she did, and she's not even in the race. Warren earned barely more than Buttigieg, even though Buttigieg also is not in the race. And the only possible reason for that, of course, uh, for for Warren's poor performance, uh, the only possible reason can be sexism and racism uh, against Native American women. But here's the point I want to make out at the outset today, as uh, as anyone could have predicted. Bernie's fans are on TV and they're on social media and uh, saying that the election was rigged. It's all, it's all one big rigged game. They rigged it against Bernie. Hashtag rigged primary was trending number one on Twitter this morning. And this is how it always goes after every election now. This is, this is what happens. Uh, now, I, I feel like there was a time, maybe I'm wrong. I seem to remember a time many moons ago when you could have an election and the results would come in and nobody would scream that it was rigged. People would be mad, or they would be sad, or they'd be glad, or they'd be defiant, or, or they might even, uh, you know, they, 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 they'll complain about it in all different various ways. But there wasn't this perfunctory reaction, this automatic reflex of immediately claiming the whole thing was rigged. In fact, it used to be that to claim that an election is rigged was a really serious charge that you didn't take lightly. Because think about what you're saying. But now it's just, it's automatic. It's, ah, It's a rigged, rigged, rigged. And it's left and right we do this. It's a, on, on both sides. Um, now, like I said, think about this for a minute. If you really think our elections are rigged, and that it's all decided in some dark, smoky room, and that our votes don't even matter at all, then first of all, you can never celebrate when your favored candidate wins. So even the Bernie bros, they're they're upset that he didn't win more states, but they're happy about California. He won California. That's the, he won the most delegates in a single state uh, last night. They're celebrating that. Well, if it's rigged, then that was rigged too, right? So you're celebrating a, a rigged election because it went in your favor. Doesn't that make you a hypocrite? If you really believe that our elections are rigged, our elections are rigged, that we are no different from a banana republic, we're no different from a a dictatorship, we're no different from uh, uh, North Korea. If that's really what you think, then what are you doing sitting around crying about it? Why aren't you taking to the streets an armed revolution? That's what our founding fathers certainly would have done. Yeah, you're sitting around sending hashtags, hashtag rigged election, that's how you're addressing the problem? If you if you actually believe that, then this is this is uh, we don't have a democratic system. This is not a republic. We live in in absolute tyranny and oppression. We live essentially in a dictatorship. We have we have no freedoms. That that's that's the implication. So again, I ask, what are you doing sitting around just whining? Is it because you don't really believe what you're saying? See, this this is what happens. It's very easy, and the Internet has made it even easier, to sit back and make extraordinary charges and claims about the way things work. But you don't have to back it up, and most of the people saying it are are anonymous anyway. So you don't have to do anything. You don't have to back up what you're saying. You don't have to act on it. You just just say it, and so everyone's just saying things. Uh, Now, I want to get to the real point here about this election-rigging claim. Because I think that um, the what what ends up happening because of it is that you have the further infantilization of the American voter and the American people by extension. So I want to talk about that. but first, uh, let's check in quickly a, a word from our our very good friends over at Vincero. You know having a great watch that kind of puts you a step above everybody else in the in the in the style department that, it not only makes you feel great about yourself, but it makes you feel it makes you feel more superior and more worthy. That's how. And I'm put on a Vacheron watch. I know that I'm I'm better than everybody else. I mean, frankly, I, now I already know that about myself. So, but the watch confirms how much better I am than everybody else, and that's that's what I like about it. If you're looking to upgrade your look, uh, you don't waste money on a cheap cookie cutter watch. It doesn't get you noticed. No one's gonna pay attention to. Uh, it's it, it. looks like the same cheap garbage everybody else is wearing. Don't do that. Vincero understands the frustrations of online shopping, so they make it easy by offering free shipping, thirty day returns, uh, guarantees, uh, and and also guarantees for your watch for two years. So now you're not going to want to return the watch. I can pretty much guarantee you that. But you also but you do have you do have that option. So there's really no risk. There's no there's no reason not to go online, go to Vincero watches, and. Um, and, and get a watch and, and see how you like it. Head over to vincerowatches.com Walsh. You can check out my favorite picks, take advantage of my special discount while you shop as well. But remember to use code Walsh when you go there. You know, I've got several uh, Vincero watches right now. And what I like most about them is that you, you know, somebody sees the watch, they assume that you spent probably exorbitant amounts of money on it because it's a, it's a, it, it, it's a very well-made watch. It's also very comfortable, which is which is important too. It's an underrated aspect of watches that they actually are comfortable, that they sit on your your wrist in a comfortable way. Uh, it doesn't feel like you're you're lugging around a, a huge brick or something attached to your wrist. So it looks like you spent a lot of money, but, but, but you didn't, because you can get great deals on Vincero watches if you go there now. Vincerowatches.com. Uh, so go there now. Show the world what you look like at your best. Go to V-I-N-C-E-R-O watches.com forward slash Walsh. And use my code Walsh for a discount at checkout. Don't pay full price on these beautiful timepieces. Use my code Walsh at checkout. Okay, now, back to this rigging thing. Of course, you know, we know how it goes. The attitude of most people is that the election is rigged if it goes against them. If it goes against my guy, if my guy loses, then it must be that, that it's rigged. Now, if he wins, then it was a pure and unimpeachable process. And the uh, wishes of the American people were accurately reflected. That's how it goes. So this rigged uh, election claim is nothing more than the blubberings of a, of a child. This, you know, screaming because his sister has more cereal than, than than he does in his bowl. It's not fair. Everyone's against me. It's not fair. Shut up. Was the election rigged against Bernie? No, it wasn't. But what if what if the establishment, that mysterious establishment, that shadowy force, told Warren to stay in the race? in order to siphon votes from Bernie. What if that happened? Because she certainly did siphon votes from Bernie. Bernie would have won Massachusetts, Maine, I think Minnesota uh, would have picked up uh, more delegates in other states if it wasn't for Warren. So Warren staying in the race served no purpose other than to, and I use this term not totally literally, sabotage her supposed ideological ally. What does that mean? Well, it means, first of all, that Warren is a charlatan and a fraud and an egomaniac, and this was always just a vanity project on her part. Um, But does it mean that there was rigging? No, no, it doesn't. Because even if there was some kind of clandestine deal made to keep her in the race so that she could take votes from Bernie, so what? That's the way the game is played in politics. Voters still had to choose to go to the polls and throw their vote away by giving it to her. Her staying in the race doesn't mean that people are compelled to vote for her and throw their vote away that way. It just means that they can if they want to. They have to choose that. Voters aren't sheep. Now, they might act like it, but they aren't literally sheep. They aren't automatons. They're adults technically making choices. And as long as those choices are reflected accurately in the tally at the end of the night, then it's not rigged, period. Did the establishment force people to vote for Warren? No. They could have been smart. They could have said, gee, I'm a far leftist. I have these ideological uh, priorities. Warren isn't going to win. Bernie Sanders reflects those priorities. He's got the best chance. I'll vote for him. They could have done that. That's the smart thing to do. But they decided to do the stupid thing. They didn't have to do the stupid thing. They did because they're stupid people. The fact that stupid people can be manipulated doesn't mean that elections are rigged. Our whole election season is all about manipulating stupid people. I've got news for you. That's all it is. Every single ad you see for a politician on TV, that is always about manipulating stupid people because you have to be a stupid person to be influenced by a political ad. If you're even moderately intelligent, though, you've never seen a political ad that influenced your vote one way or another because it's an ad. You, you know you're only getting one side of the story, obviously. It's, it's incredibly biased, of course. That's what it's supposed to be. It's an ad for a candidate. You're not going to learn anything about this person from an advertisement. Yet people spend millions, hundreds of, Michael Bloomberg spent hundreds of millions on, ad, on ads um, because they do influence people, stupid people. And there are a lot of stupid people in America. That doesn't mean the elections are rigged, though. It just means we have a problem of stupidity. What about the possibility that the uh, establishment convinced Buttigieg and Klobuchar, uh, Klobuchar, or Klobuchar, how about that, to drop out uh, before Super Tuesday? That's the other uh, theory, conspiracy theory, that the establishment went to them and said, you got to drop out so we can get the votes to Biden and keep Bernie. That very likely probably did happen. Is that rigging then? No, not even close. It's not even close to a rigged election because it does not remove the choice from people when they go to the polls. Yeah, they can't choose Buttigieg or Klobuchar anymore, but that doesn't mean they have to vote for Biden. They can still make whatever choice they want. Politicians are very good at predicting what stupid people will do and arranging things so that the predictable actions of stupid people will benefit them as politicians, but once again, that is not rigging an election. That's just playing the game. That's just politics. See, this is what I I don't like about the election rigging claim. It infantilizes the voter. It makes the voter into a victim of his own decisions. And the whole thing is just another symptom of of entitlement. It's another symptom of the, the problem we have in this country, generally speaking, culturally. The voters go out, they make choices, and then they cry about the choices they made. They think they have some kind of God-given right for everything to work out exactly as they want it to. Even if their own actions undermine their own goals. People go out and do things to undermine their own goals. They do things against their own interests. And then things don't work out in their interests, and they cry and say, everything is rigged, everyone's against me. No, you're just an idiot who just who, who made a stupid decision. This is why the country is how it is. This is why we have the leaders that we do, because of this kind of petulant adolescent attitude. Our political class, all this whining people do about the elites and the political class, where do you think they come from? How do you think they got there? Every single politician, they are there because we put them there. They didn't, they, they didn't, they weren't dug out of the ground like orcs in Lord of the Rings. We put them there, every single one. And then we cry about it. We say, What are these people doing there? We march to the polls crying as we vote for the people we don't want. And then they do things that we don't like. And we say, How did this happen? I don't understand what's going on. And then we, you know. <laughs> And then we just sit down and, and turn on the TV and, uh, and and binge Netflix for seven hours and forget about it. It's just, you know, let's take some responsibility for all this stuff. The, the fact is, Election Day, if, if, if most people vote for a certain person, that person's going to win. Whether it's president or senator or whatever office it is. If most people vote for them, they're going to win. If they don't win, it's because most people didn't vote for them. I know that there's there are things that 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 happen. There's a, there's there's a, you know, voter fraud is is an issue. It does happen, but it's not happening on such a scale that we end up with you know that that presidents are elected on the basis of it. I mean, I, and I you know trump this is something you hear from a lot of trump supporters vote, vote vote rigging well trump won in 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 2016 he won without even winning the popular vote right well that's the way the system is set up electoral college so is that was that rigged he would say well no that wasn't rigged that's how it was supposed to be if he loses though then it's rigged come on no if trump wins in 2020 which i think at this point he will if he wins, it's because most people voted for him, or at least uh, the right people in the right states voted for him so he could win the Electoral College. If he doesn't win, um, it's because he lost, because people didn't want him. You know, it, it, and that's, they sh- maybe they should want him, maybe they shouldn't, but that's, people are just making choices. We're not victims of our choices. And I wish we could all just understand that. We make choices and they are our choices. We're not victims of them. We are not victims of any of these buffoons in Washington. And I can't stand almost all of them. Yet we did put them there. And we have to face that. All right, let's uh, move on to headlines. But before we do, I want to tell you about Helix Sleep. Helix Sleep has a, a quiz that takes you just two minutes to complete. I took the quiz, and it matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattresses for you. If you like a mattress that's really soft or firm, uh, if you sleep on your side, your back, your stomach, if you get really hot when you sleep, whatever whatever it is, with, with Helix, there's a specific mattress for each and everybody's unique tastes, unique preferences and body types. You don't need to take their word for it. Hel- Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress of 2019 and 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. They've got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. Uh, they'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I guarantee you will. We had they were nice enough to ship a, a mattress over to us. and uh, I tested it out. so it is honestly an extremely comfortable mattress. And I'm a little bit bitter about it because when the mattress came, my wife said, "Oh, uh, you know our daughter, uh, our daughter needs a a, a new mattress, which she, she did. And so my wife said, let's let's give the mattress to her." And I said, but it's really comfortable. I, I want it. And see, this is a problem with my wife and a problem with a lot of wives is that they're always thinking about the kids. They're thinking about others. You know, it, it's, it's really a problem because what about me? That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. So we gave the mattress to my daughter and she, uh, she sleeps uh, very, very soundly in it. And I'm bitter about it every single night. Uh, now, right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off and uh, free pillows with all mattresses orders, or uh, for all of our listeners at HelixSleep.com/Walsh. That's HelixSleep.com/Walsh for up to $200 off your mattress order. Again, that's $200 off your mattress order. That's uh, HelixSleep.com/Walsh. Okay, let's go to headlines. We've already covered number one, the results of Super Tuesday, but I think the biggest moment happened during our uh, during Joe Biden's speech, which you know, having an elderly man who's already losing his mind give a speech at 11 o'clock at night when it's four hours past his bedtime, uh, four hours past the time when everybody else's age is asleep. You know, it's not going to work out very well, especially when it's Joe Biden we're talking about. And, uh, and yeah, it, it kind of went off the rails almost immediately.
1: By the way, this is my little sister,
0: Valerie, and I'm Jill's husband. Oh, no, this is a, oh, you switched on me my wife.
1: This is my sister.
0: They switched on me. Oh, geez, Joe. Joe, Joe, Joe. When, as I said last night, uh, it, it seems that by calling his sister his wife, Joe Biden is, you might say, is making a bold play for Ilhan Omar supporters. So maybe there was some political calculation there. And he did win Minnesota, which is Omar's um, state. So who knows? Maybe there's a connection there. Number two, David Frum, editor of The Atlantic, got himself into trouble last night while offering his analysis about the results and about uh, Bernie supporters versus Joe Biden supporters. Here's what he said. Joe Biden appeals to people who pay their cable cable bills on the day it arrives. Bernie Sanders appeals to people who may forget to pay the cable bill entirely.
1: Um, and, there was, and the first group, they're both morally worldly, equally morally worthy, but the first group are more reliable.
0: Let me just say that is outrageous. It, it is Outrageous and offensive. It's not true. Um, in these kinds of stereotypes, I'm not going to stand for them. It's not true that Bernie Sanders supporters don't pay the, their cable bills on time. Not true at all. Um, in fact, Bernie Sanders supporters make sure that their parents pay for all their bills on time. And they're—I know this about them. Okay, I know these people. They're—they're they're very strict about it. With their parents, if their parents forget to pay the cable bill or or the you know electric bill or anything, they're going to be on the horn with mom saying, "Mom, what's going on?" They're going to hold her feet to the fire, so they are they're on top of it. These are very responsible people. Number three, you may think, and I wouldn't blame you for thinking that ESPN cannot possibly embarrass itself any more than it already has over the uh, over recent years, but you would be wrong. I'm afraid. Yesterday, ESPN managed somehow to sink to a new level of cringe or maybe rise to a new level of cringe, depending on how you feel about cringe. I'm a big fan of cringe, which is why my favorite episode of The Office is The Dinner Party. But uh, in any case, on on ESPN, um, the show, uh, first take on ESPN with professional yeller Stephen A. Smith, they did a whole lengthy segment with with, uh, Spike Lee, film director Spike Lee. Now, Spike Lee, as you'll see in a moment, is a ridiculous person, also a bad filmmaker. The latter isn't really relevant here. The fact that he's a ridiculous person is relevant, and you'll see why. Now, it seems that Spike Lee, who's a big New, York's, New York Knicks fan for some reason, went to Madison Square Garden a few nights ago to watch the Knicks, and uh, he tried to go in the employee entrance, even though he's not an employee. And he was told by security that, well, you can't go in that entrance because you're not an employee. Seems pretty reasonable. You don't work here, so you can't go in that entrance. They told him that they had a special VIP entrance for him because he's a famous guy. And so he gets special stuff. And they said, can you go to the VIP entrance? And uh, and this altercation, this minor inconvenience caused Spike Lee to have a temper tantrum, a meltdown, like the spoiled rich baby that he is. ESPN then brought him on the air to complain about not being able to use the employee entrance at Madison Square Garden. And they expect us, it's not just that they brought him on the air to talk about it so they could laugh at him. I'd understand that. No, it's that they, they, they expect us to be outraged. Stephen A. Smith was outraged about this. He was ranting about it on Twitter, too. He wants us to be really upset that Spike Lee was not able to use the employee entrance at Madison Square Garden. Here is Spike Lee talking about
1: this great tragedy that he suffered. I've been using the same entrance for 28 plus years. The employee's entrance on 33rd Street. Yesterday, last night, I go in, my ticket gets scanned. I'm in. I, well, you know the elevator. Yes. I go in the elevator, and elevator, I, and also people having their ticket scanned also. And elevator's not moving. And the security guy comes to me and says, we need you to get off the elevator. I said, for what? So we, well, we could speak about it now. I so said, I'm not getting out of the elevator. So it was another five minutes. Then they finally send the elevator up because they know I'm not getting out the elevator. Get on the elevator. As you know, people don't know, the garden floor is on the fifth floor. i go up to five, and security waiting for you like he just ran out of Macy's stealing something. And they said, you, this guy, security guy, they're all, this comes from the top. He says, Mr. Lee, you have to leave Madison Square Garden. They wanted me to leave the garden, walk outside that, out to 33rd Street employers where I came from, walk outside and come back on 31st Street. Oh, you had you had to come in
0: on 31st Street. Really? That oh oh, that's that's oh no. 31st Street. You, you had to walk outside and go around to a different entrance. I, that Oh my gosh. Spike Lee. Nobody has ever suffered like you have. This is is an injustice of historic proportion. They will build monuments to this moment. People will come from from miles around, from, from countries across the world, to mourn and weep and remember this tragedy. Let the world never forget, lest we ever forget, what happened at Madison Square Garden that night. The night that a celebrity was 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 forced to use the celebrity entrance rather than the employee entrance, he had to get off an elevator. They wanted him to get off an elevator. Unbelievable! But I'm trying. Sorry, Spike. I'm trying. I'm trying to muster the outrage, and I'm pretty good at mustering outrage. It's what I do for a living. But I, I, I it's. I'm, I'm having a tough time with this. And of course, we all know. If this was a rich white man crying that he couldn't use the employee entrance to access Madison Square Garden to get to his private suite, um, do you think ESPN would have given him the time of day? Do you think anybody would be interested in hearing that? No, of course not. Number four, reading from a report in the Daily Wire says a new study on climate anxiety uh, found that famed child activist Greta Thunberg is not the only young person who has suffered from severe stress as a result of taking dire predictions about the climate The Planet by Climate Alarmist to Heart. Um, The BBC Newsround report says climate anxiety survey for BBC Newsround shows children losing sleep over climate change and the environment. This is a survey of eight to 16 year olds. Um, Young people, Newsround explains, are frustrated and anxious about what's happening. A majority, 58 percent of 2000 children interviewed said they were worried about the impact of global warming. About one out of every five said that they had nightmares about it. But the same percentage, 17%, said their sleeping and eating habits have been affected by their fears about climate change. Uh, this is... Uh, now, now, here, here is a, a reason for authentic outrage. That This is what's, what's happening to our kids. And it's understandable that kids would be losing sleep about it because kids don't know anything about science, obviously. And if you tell them that the world is coming to an end in just a few years and we're all going to drown when the ice caps melt and all this kind of stuff, uh, they're going to believe you. And of course they're going to be scared about that. Which is why climate alarmism is is child abuse when you heap it on a, a kid like this. And you, you, you give the child these existential fears that they now have to live with that are completely gratuitous. Because no credible scientist actually thinks that the world is coming to an end anytime soon because of climate change. This is something from politicians. And they have no problem putting this on kids and manipulating kids as a means of manipulating adults as well. And because they know that those kids are going to be adults and and voters one day. And so if you can make them um, paranoid climate alarmists from a young age, then they're going to be easy to manipulate, speaking of manipulating voters. And you're going to be able to get what you want out of them if you're if you're you know a, a leftist politician. So it's just it's it's pretty infuriating. Number five, they're making another reboot of Cinderella because we have to have a reboot of Cinderella once every nine months approximately. Uh, this is just a this is a story apparently that it it, it just an infinite fountain of uh, of, of of reboots. It, you, it never gets old, I guess. Now I think it does get old. At a certain point, okay, we get it. We've heard the Cinderella story. It's a good story, don't get me wrong. I don't know if we need 6,000 versions of it. I think maybe just 5,000 versions we could probably, uh, uh, would probably suffice. But in this version, um, apparently the actor Billy Porter, who is the attention starved dude who shows up to award shows in ugly dresses, that's his thing. You've probably seen him online. Well, anyway, he says he's going to play a genderless uh, version of the fairy godmother. He's going to he's going to play the fairy godmother in this woke remake, and it's going to be a genderless, even though he himself is not genderless. And of course, the word fairy godmother would seem to indicate gender. So, is it going to be the fairy god thing? Well, that's, I guess that's what Joe Biden would call it—the thing. Now. Okay, here's an idea, now I'm brainstorming. A a version of Cinderella where the fairy godmother is replaced with The Thing, from the movie The Thing. Now that is a remake I'd like to see, and if that's what we're talking about here, then I'm all on board for it. But you have to love this, don't you? Because what we have now are men stealing roles from women in the name of progress. This is progress now, for men to take roles from women. So that's great. All right, moving on. let's go to your daily cancellation uh I mentioned shocking footage about of 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 Bloomberg I do feel a little bad adding insult to injury um but I I I just feel like we we can't allow this one to go unremarked upon um so I'm going to play this footage for you in a second if you haven't seen it what it what it shows is is Bloomberg at a campaign stop a few days ago in Virginia Grabbing a slice of pizza from a box, ripping off a piece, putting it in his mouth, licking his fingers, putting his hand back in the box, extracting a clump of cheese from another piece, licking each finger methodically like a serial killer, and then placing his hand directly on a large carton of coffee. The mere sight of this spectacle is enough to give PTSD to germaphobes like myself, even a mild germaphobe. I think would be would be traumatized by this. We cannot uh, lose sight of the irony here. Bloomberg engaged in this act of uh, of, of biological terrorism less than twenty four hours after he gave a speech, where he was pretending to be the president and talking about the coronavirus. And that speech was was already pathetic. But now that he's dropped out of the race, and by the way, endorsed Joe Biden, um, it just makes it all all the sadder. Anyway, but but he gives that speech about the coronavirus, and then he turns around and does this. Apparently, his way of, of battling the, the coronavirus is to sprinkle whatever ancient and mysterious communicable diseases are bouncing around his 78-year-old body, sprinkle them all over the pizza like Parmesan cheese. So should this video alone disqualify him from the presidency? Well, well, he's already disqualified himself, but of course it, it should. It should disqualify anybody uh, should it disqualify him from citizenship? Should he ha- should he have his citizenship revoked? I think obviously yes. Uh, should there be even harsher penalties than that? Um, I think again, clearly, you know it goes without saying under my regime, uh, finger lickers, people who chew with their mouth open, double dippers, uh, all of those you know uh, are, we're gonna start with with imprisonment at a minimum. Um, and, then, and then we'll go from there. And, you know, of course, because I'm a merciful and just person, I would take it on a case-by-case basis. I would assess moral culpability and all those kinds of things. In the worst cases, you know, we would be looking at execution, of course. Let's consider some of the particulars here, though, with this, with this video. First of all, before we even get to the part where he's slobbering all over everybody in the room, who, who serves coffee with pizza, who puts coffee and pizza in the same spread? Coffee is a diuretic. Pizza is congealed grease in the form of food. You don't combine those two things in the same bowels. That's like throwing a whole pack of mentos into a 2 liter of uh, of coke. It's just it's it's not a good thing to combine. Also taste wise it doesn't work. Everyone knows you're having a pizza party, beer and soda. Now beer is a diuretic too but you know it's beer so it's okay. Second thing, people who lick their fingers in general are and no offense intended degenerate freaks um god made napkins for a reason nobody wants to see or hear you slurping the food particles off of your off of your own limbs like some sort of animal and then when you consider all the bacteria that you have under your fingernails you ever looked that up it's a cornucopia of bacteria under your fingernails and 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 you're slurping that off your finger so it's, you might as well eat oatmeal out of a urinal. It's, it's the same thing as far as the germs go. Um, but at least the average finger sucker has the decency to wash their hands after they do it before touching anything. At least I tell myself they, they wash their hands because I have to tell myself that to keep myself from stabbing them. But Bloomberg not only didn't wash his hands, but seemingly made a point of touching all the food products in the vicinity. Like a, like a feral cat marking his territory. And here's the thing, that is just about the only thing that actually would salvage Bloomberg's decency or whatever's left of it. If he were to to say, to, to offer the excuse that he licked his fingers and then touched the pizza in order to stop other people from eating the pizza so that he could eat it and have it all to himself, then I would say, well, that is selfish and rude, but it's also shrewd from a strategic perspective. I would respect it. Um... I would respect the game, even if I'm repulsed by it. But I think that this was not a tactile move, uh, a tactical move from on, on Bloomberg's part. I think he had no intention of eating all the pizza. I think all he wanted was that one little clump of cheese. He just didn't care if he shared his slobber with the entire room. And that makes him a psychopath, a terrorist, unfit for civilized society. And we can add it to all of the many reasons to be glad that he has now dropped out of the race and is canceled. Canceled twice over. All right, let's go to emails. Uh, mattwalshow at gmail.com, mattwalshow at gmail.com. This is from Ruben, says, Hi, I just subscribed to The Daily Wire this past November and feel a little late to the party. I thoroughly enjoy most of the shows, but particularly appreciate that Matt doesn't cover the exact same topics as the other guys. Ben gives a fair account of political events, then provides his conservative take. Michael and Andrew are deep in the tank for the right, but they're entertaining and open about it, so I appreciate that. Then there's Mr. Walsh, who tackles the moral issues and threats confronting our culture. It's a paradoxical breath of fresh air during the day to turn from the constant undermining of our country by the left to the attack on our morality by the left. But who is Matt Walsh? Why is he never on backstage? Why isn't he in the studio with the rest of the guys? I'm completely lost on why he seems to be just a guy with a mic that they allow to use their platform with the Daily Wire. Is there something that I should know or am missing? Any clarification would be great, thanks. Well, Ruben, you ask, who is Matt Walsh? I am just a man with hopes and dreams um, and a plan to enslave mankind and carry out mass executions of everybody who annoys me. Uh, that's And that's really what this show is about, as you've already been able to tell. And that's what I'm about as a person. Um, and I think that gets to the core of who I am. So I hope that answers your question. I also hope it explains why they keep me in a cave 3,000 miles away. Let's go to John. Says, hey, Matt, first of all, big fan of the show. Listen to your show almost every day. My buddy and I love listening to your takes on logical thinking when it comes to cultural political issues. My question pertains to the relationship between politics and the church. Growing up in a conservative Christian household raised by my conservative Christian parents, I've always been surrounded by this idea of living a moral life and finding purpose through the Christian faith. As admirable as uh, all this sounds, do you think that Christians of the church have any responsibility or moral culpability when it comes to tackling polarizing and divisive cultural and political issues? I haven't read your book, Church of Cowards, yet, but the very premise of the book seems to point to a larger problem and symptoms within Christian and conservative circles. I very much agree with you that conservatives and Christians need to be more combative and maybe more aggressive when discussing these things. Um, An old but timeless quote from Ralph Nader Uh, Back in the day has stuck with me When thinking about this subject Turn on to politics Or politics will will turn on you I'd love to hear your thoughts John Well, John, thanks for the email And also thanks for the chance That you gave me to hawk my book Church of Cowards Which is in stores now Wherever books are sold Go to Amazon and buy it Obviously, I agree with what you said here And this is a big part of why I wrote the book Church of Cowards um, And what I address in the book Yes, the church has a profound Responsibility to engage with, show leadership on, lend clarity to the cultural and social issues of the day. I've often said, you know, as I say also in the book, that entering into a church should be entering into something sacred, something set apart, something elevated. Um, but that doesn't mean that it should be something irrelevant to your daily life. Precisely the opposite The problem is that so many churches Have tried hard to make the church Experience Reflect on the surface anyway Superficially the culture And so that you walk into a church And and everything from the architecture to the music To to the message, everything You can hardly even tell that you're in a church That's what so many churches have done Um, But then When it comes to that message It's completely irrelevant it, it's, it's, uh, it, it doesn't speak to the experiences of the people in the congregation. It doesn't speak to the moral and spiritual battles they face. face. It, it doesn't speak to the anxieties and fears and longings they have living in modern culture, raising children in modern culture. So this is entirely backwards. The reality is, whether we like it or not, and I certainly don't like it, we live in a world where children are exploited and murdered, where the family is under attack, marriage is under attack, basic moral truths are undermined, faith is maligned, and on and on and on. If the church will not address that, will not speak boldly to that and about that, giving people direction and how to navigate it, and encouragement in in, in their battles out there on the battlefield of, 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 of modern culture, then people are going to start saying, what do I even need you for? What do I need any of this for? What's the point of this? And I think that's what's increasingly happening. Um, Where the church and church leaders, in their cowardice, and they're not wanting to overturn the apple cart or upset people, they have um, made faith seem irrelevant, even though it isn't. They made it seem irrelevant to people. And people say this is useless. What, you know, it, it's What's the point of this? Um, and that's just a tragedy. And that's the tragedy I talk about in the book. Finally, this is from Heather. Um, as we find out why I'm wrong, here's your uh, why I'm wrong email of the day. From Heather it says, Matt, you're wrong about sexual harassment. It's true that women do flirt with men. You're right about that. But the difference is that women don't have the same physical power and ability to force themselves on others. Sexual harassment is a more serious problem for men, even if it isn't more common for men. That's what you're missing. Well, thanks, Heather. First of all, keep in mind, even if I agreed with you, and I do agree with some of what you're saying, my point yesterday is that by the standards of the culture, according to what is said about men and women, that argument doesn't fly. So the same people who are on this witch hunt against sexual harassment, are largely the people who would say that men and women are basically the same and, and aren't really different and, and men aren't necessarily stronger than, uh, than women anyway. So you, they can't use the argument that you just presented, which is why they, by their own standard, must take male and female harassment equally as serious. I mean, don't tell me in one breath that women can be on the front lines of combat. Because they're capable of being just as menacing and lethal as men. And then in the next breath, tell me that it doesn't matter when they harass men because they're just petite little flowers that could never harm a fly. Those two things don't work. Now, putting that aside, back in reality, where we realize that men and women are different, I still say there's a double standard. Yes, men are more capable of forcing themselves on women, but that shouldn't lead to and does not justify a dichotomy where women are almost never called out for sexual harassment, and men are called out for it even when they do something as as innocuous as complimenting a woman on her appearance. This kind of situation can't be rationalized uh, on the sole basis that men are stronger. Yeah, that might make their harassment in some circumstances uh, more serious, in some circumstances, but... If harassment is wrong, then it's wrong. And if complimenting somebody on their appearance is harassment, then it's harassment. And it's harassment when women do it, too. Now, I don't think it is harassment. But if that's your your your, your take on it, if that's what you think, then you have to say it about women. Um, same for flirting, same for sexual comments that are made. Women do all of that. Now... It, when, when it comes to something like initiating a flirtatious exchange, I don't buy for a second that men are more likely to do that or do it more often or do it in more inappropriate circumstances. I don't think that's true at all. I, I, I think at a minimum it's equal. if if anything, maybe women are more guilty. but uh, but but you certainly can't say I, I just I don't think there's any basis to say that men are more guilty of that than women are. Now, some of this stuff depending on the situation some of this stuff can be sexual harassment but it 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 would also be that when women do it yet they're almost never called out for it they're almost never condemned for it nobody takes it seriously and even when you go into things that are much more serious than mere sexual harassment we talk about sexual activity talk about an adult having sex with a with a with a minor for example um, like all of these uh, female teachers who are, you know, having sex with with twelve and thirteen or fourteen year old boys, which is which is actually an epidemic across the country. As I have tried to call attention to for for many years now, the sexual abuse problem in the public school system, not just among female teachers but male teachers too, um, but the sexual abuse problem in in this public school system is an epidemic. It is it is it's tens of thousands of kids are being sexually abused in the public school system. Nobody talks about it. Um, we especially don't. Well, when it comes to the women doing it, we may talk about it, but we talk about it in this kind of joking way that we would never, ever, ever do if the genders are reversed. Again, double standard, um, and that's what I'm that's what I'm calling attention to. I, I'm, I'm saying that there should be one standard. We can get into assessing. Uh, you know the seriousness of this and that thing, but but if sexual harassment is wrong, which it is, it's wrong when anyone does it. If complimenting someone is is harassment, which it isn't, but if it is, if you're arguing that it is, then it then it's it, that's the case for men and women, and that's my point. All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks everybody for watching. Thanks for listening. Uh, have a great day. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including the Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and the Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, Executive Producer, Jeremy Boring, Supervising Producer, Mathis Glover, Supervising Producer, Robert Sterling, Technical Producer, Austin Stevens, editor Danny D'Amico, audio mixer Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Joe Biden turns around a flailing presidential campaign with a massive showing on Super Tuesday. Whereas last week Joe was dead both literally and figuratively, now he's only dead literally. We will examine what the establishment comeback means for the Democratic primary and for the general election. Then the media are shocked that a Hispanic could vote for President Trump. Disgraced thruple Congresswoman Katie Hill teaches us all a lesson on selfishness. And Taylor Swift hates men. All that and more, check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.